You take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 51. The last couple of weeks we have looked at the background to this text as we have studied 2 Samuel verse, uh, chapters 11 and 12. And we've always had where David has fallen into grave sin and then has been confronted by Nathan. And now we find ourselves in response to that, how David comes with a sincere confession and writes Psalm 51. Now, I don't know if you know this, but there, if you were to go out and Google, uh, there are a number of songs of revenge and betrayal in the public eye and pop culture. Um, so they talk about the badness of people. And so it's one thing if you are upset with someone and you write a song of revenge against them. And there's actually some popular ones out there if you're a little bit older um, that have made it big in the charts. But there's the one another thing to be someone who writes about yourself, which is what David does here. I mean, you can see at the beginning it says, To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. Can you imagine having to write a song about the worst thing that you've ever done and then to publicize it and have people sing about it for thousands of years? But for some reason, God has sought forth that David writes a song about himself to, again, give us a warning, but also to teach us. Because what David does in this psalm is incredible because of the first part of the psalm, he asked for pardon In the second part of the psalm, he asked for purity. And so he's going to teach us today. So let's go to the Lord in prayer to ask him to do that as well. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, Lord, give us truly eyes to see and hearts to understand. Lord, let us have a real encounter with our own heart, with our own sin nature. Lord, may we be able to look and to see that it is our sin that has sent Christ to the cross. But Lord, we get to know you as being that good and loving Heavenly Father. And because of your Son, we can have right relationship with you. Lord, you forgive us of our sins and you throw them as far as the east is from the west and you remember them no more. Lord, teach us to confess our sins this way. And Lord, to forgive others as you have forgiven us. So be with us, especially as prepare us as we come to your table this morning. For this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So the first thing we're going to do is I want you to understand, first of all, that this is a uh, a song, so it's poetry, and so it is kind of split up. If you were to take this, it's written in six different parts. Now, we're only going to do it in three points, but there are six separate parts to this, and it comes in triplets. So you'll see a number of the wording in three times. So it's mercy, love, compassion. We're going to talk about sin different ways. It's talking about transgression, iniquity, and sin. So that it's set up in a sense where, again, um, when you read it in the English, it doesn't flow exactly well. But think I want you to think of Dr. Seuss, where he starts making up words. Okay, the zipper zapper, zip zip zap doos. Okay, it doesn't quite fit. So I want to unpack it a little bit. So the first thing we're going to see is that the first thing he's asking for is the pardon. And so he asked for God to give us his mercy. Now, for us, the only way that we can go to God is in mercy. 
Because we don't want to ask to go in justice. Because if we go in justice, then he gives us what we deserve, which is hell. For David, it would be death. Again, David has, again, committed adultery. He has committed murder. And there are no sacrifices for that. There's no sacrifices for that. He's supposed to die. And so he comes and he understands that he has guilt of his sins. So he comes and he approaches God through mercy. And he receives the mercy by how? By Nathan. And Nathan is the prophet. And again, last week we heard that Nathan is the word of God coming to David. And so in this, the word of God that we have, not in a prophet anymore, but in the word that you hold in your hand or that's in your phone or in your tablet, we, we're the culture that has the access to the word of God more than any other time in more languages. And so you have access to the word of God that comes and listen, it convicts us, but it also helps us. And so in that midst, what David says is, God, in your mercy, I'm coming to you because I know that I have a covenant relationship with you. It's that Hesed understanding. And this is where he says, you have given me love and you've given me compassion. Because I know you are a faithful God. You've been faithful in the past and I know you're going to be faithful in the future. You've promised to me that my kin will sit on a throne forever. You've promised me this greatness. And I know because of who you are, you will fulfill this. And so Lord, come and forgive me. Now I want you to understand that probably David had no clue what that request was going to cost God. I don't think we understand what our sin has in regards to the cost for what God was going to have to do to answer this prayer of David, to send his one perfect and only son to the cross to die on our behalf. So David comes to him in his mercy. And not only does he come in his mercy, but there's one thing that I truly do appreciate about David is he takes responsibility because he calls it my sin. My sin It's a frank confession. He comes with no excuses for what he has done. There's no blaming or comparing his sin to other people. He's taken responsibility for it himself. I'm going to share something about my life. And again, it's not to to beat me up or anything like that. But I want you to, to kind of see this in practical application. There are two times in my life that I really remember coming to Christ fully. Um, one was when I was young and we were on the chapel, uh, the Navy base, and I went to the chapel and it was around Christmas time. And I know it's Christmas time because I still have the ornament that I created during this day. And we did little lifesaver, uh, gospel messages. And if you remember the little five pack of, of lifesavers, they came in the different colors. And so I made a little man, uh, that still hangs on our Christmas tree every so often, every so many years it comes out. Okay. And I remember praying the prayer at that point and it was a sincere thing i remember that and i get to, to see it again as it comes out for christmas time year after year but there's also a second time which is not such a good uh remembrance because it was a time after my parents had gone through the divorce and i was very angry i was angry at the world i was angry at god i was angry at my parents and i remember very clearly uh one day um it was again it was a saturday and i know specifically because uh it was going to be um Easter sunrise service the next morning and I had gone to the beach with some friends and I drank excessively out in the sun which was not good and then I drove home drunk went in 
proceeded to pass out. And my mom uh, came in to confront me, and I remember blasting my mom. I am like this because of you and dad. I hate that you guys went through the divorce. I hate that you've made me into this kind of a person. Now, 3 o'clock in the morning, we get up, we come down here to a sunrise service, and I was made to come, and my mom said, you're going to talk to your youth pastor? (laughs) So I come, and I talk to my youth pastor early in the morning, make a confession of what I have done, and I remember very clearly at that point figuring out maybe for the first time I was raised and had a hard situation, but nobody ever put a bottle to my mouth. No one caused me to do anything except myself. And for the first time, it was my sin. I couldn't blame anybody else for what I chose to do on my own. It was my sin. And I had to receive it and accept it for who I was. It was mine and mine alone. And that's where David is. This is my sin. And my sin is comprehensive. What do I I mean by that? Well, he sits in the the time where he says, I know my transgression. My sin is ever uh, before me. It's against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and sin did my mother conceive me. But behold, you delight in truth and the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. See, again, it was comprehensive from this perspective. He understood that he had transgressions, he had iniquity, and he had original sin. He had missed the mark. He was conceived in sin. So he understood that everything about him was about his sin nature. And so because of that, he understood that, again, it was against God alone when he committed that sin. It was against God alone. Now, people will say, well, he really messed up Bathsheba's life. He messed up Uriah's life. He messed up Joab's. He messed up a lot of people in the kingdom. I mean, a lot of people died over this. And it doesn't mean that there aren't the consequences of the sin. But it, there is that reality that what David is doing is David is sinning against the very nature of who God is. And so he grasps and understands that I am sinning against God and God alone. Every time you sin, you are sending Christ to the cross with that sin. Now again, he doesn't have to repay the penalty. He's not still on the cross. He doesn't have to come. He's not re-crucified. But our sin, your sin, my sin, sent Jesus to the cross. And so we have to make it very practical. And again, that's why I tell you to name your sins, those things, and then repent and confess. And the incredible thing is that David then appeals to God once again. And so he goes and he says, cleanse me, God. Cleanse me. Go deep into who I am. And so he appeals not just from the guilt of sin, but listen, the power of sin. See, he's not just looking to be forgiven. Because again, if you're, especially if you're a little kid and you get caught doing something, and I told you how I did some bad things to my older brother, in my opinion, deserved. But still, bad things to my older brother. And again, what did your parents come in and do? Mine would come in, take off his belt, start to talk to me, tell me how it was worse for him than it was for me. But then it was always the thing of, now go and say you're sorry to your brother. Well, typically, what was that? Sorry. Did you really mean it? Yes. I didn't mean it. But I was told to say I'm sorry, so I'm going to say I'm sorry. 
And I think sometimes that's the way we think we are with God in regards to our sin. I'm sorry I got caught. I'm sorry that this has been exposed. I'm sorry. But David goes further. He says, I know I'm guilty of this sin. I know these are my sins. But God, I need you to take away the power of sin. Because I want my whole heart to be something that appeals to you always, to comes running back to you. And so he starts with a process. He says, I, I want you to heal me with hyssop. Bring the hyssop. And again, for those who don't know, this is reckons back to the time where they um, leave Egypt. Remember, and these are hyssop uh, branches that kind of grow, and they grow in crevices. Um, and so it's a, a branch that's really, uh, it looks, it's like a brush. They use it like a brush. And so they would take the hyssop, and the hyssop branch was what? Dipped in the blood, remember? And it was put on the doorpost so that the death angel might fly over top of that house. So he said, bring the hyssop plant. Wash me in the blood so that I might be pardoned for sin. Wash me so that I might be blameless. He says, blot out my transgressions. And again, for us, we kind of, it doesn't really make sense here. Okay, but for them, if you were to write on something at that point, a papyrus or something like that, that's expensive. So to have something to where it's very expensive, if you got to the place where you no longer needed it, what they would do is kind of whitewash the, the papyrus, the paper. And so they would blot it out, and then what would happen is they would turn the paper and start writing anew. That's what David's saying, write new things on my heart. I don't want to be under the power of sin anymore. Change me. And so what he does is he starts to move from the pardoning to the process of purity. And so he says to God, restore to us the joy of your salvation. Restore to us the joy of your salvation. And start by doing it through what? A pure heart. Give me a pure heart, God. And he says, create in me a pure heart. Now, again, if you understand the the word that's used here, it harkens back to Genesis, and it's where God creates the world ex nihilo, out of nothing. It's a miracle. And so what David is saying to God, create in me a new heart. Create that miracle. I'm a sinner, but I need a new heart. I want a heart transformation. Renew me. And it's not, listen, it's not just having uh, fresh paint put on us. It's a renewal at the core of who we are. It's not behavior. It's our essential self. Because again, we can, we can go to church. We can go to small groups. We can read Christian books and all that kind of stuff. That does not change our heart. God has to change our heart. And so he's called to renew us. To take our hearts and make them new. And then he says to God, please don't cast me away. Don't cast me from your presence. And, and again, the understanding here is don't throw me out of your, out of a relationship with you. The reality is, is that he doesn't want to ever be outside of God's presence and protection anymore. Why? Because again, he's gone through the trials. He's gone through the, tr- uh, the, the struggles. Again, read Psalm 32. It's a psalm that's written about the same time, about this kind of same situation. And he talks about being apart from God, being in a dry and dusty land. And so what he wants is he says, I don't ever want to be out of your presence again. I don't want to be out of your protection. And again, he says, don't take away your Holy Spirit. Now, again, sometimes this boogers people up about this. So are what they saying is that we can lose our salvation? No, that's not what this is saying. 
We cannot be out of God's saving grace. What we can lose is we can lose being in his presence and having fellowship with him. So he says, don't, don't, don't allow me to get out of fellowship with you. So how does that happen? Stop fighting the Holy Spirit. Part of the reason why we, we ask you to read through the Bible and stuff like that is, is not for you to mark a box or anything like that, but because I want you to have the whole counsel of God. Because the left up to ourselves, if we're all honest, we want to read the passages we like. Hey, if I can, if I can just read the parts of the Bible that are always encouraging, always uplifting me, always saying how good of a person I am, always telling me that I'm forgiven, hey, that's great. Live your best life now and send me money. I'll appreciate that too. I like the prosperity gospel. It's just not true. And it doesn't save. It's the whole counsel of God that speaks to us. And so we have to go to the word and stop fighting the spirit when he calls to you. It's what it means to to allow the spirit to lead and to guide our steps, to keep in step with the spirit daily. God, you lead. I want the Holy Spirit to take control of my life. And then when that happens, then I can have the joy restored. Because again, all of us know this. If you're in a relationship where there is tension, it's sad. There's brokenness. You get to the place where you look at the person and, and if you've done something against your parents or something like that, and they've done something, uh, you've looked at them and they kind of just kind of look at you and just kind of shake their head. Can't believe you did that. Well, then there becomes that time, that awkward time, right, where you're out of fellowship. You're not talking. Someone has to break the silence. It's awkward, right? Someone has to break the silence to say, forgive me. And let's talk about this. Let's renew this. Well, David's saying that to God. I need to ask for forgiveness. I want back into that relationship. I don't want to feel like I'm apart from you. Restore my fellowship with you. Because we all have tendencies, listen, to wander into secret sins. People who who wander into places on their phones or on their their tablets or on their computers, people who find themselves um, drinking or trying to cover up or trying to to cover their sins, people whose marriages have fell apart, those who are in unexpressed resentment, who grow when you hear somebody's name, you just begin to, to cower and become and fester. See, when things like that creep into your heart, then you're not in fellowship with God. And so David, like us, has got to say, hey, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Allow me to confess my sin, to come back to you, to find purity in who you are. And so again, he's calling all of us to come back to to this forgiveness, to this place where we run back to Jesus. And when we do that, sorry, I'm a little behind. Restore, uphold. I'll keep it here for a second. So when we have that joy... He allows us to be restored. And as we're restored, we come back to a place in our worship. That's what he says at the end of the the passage here. He says, now, after you created me a clean heart, then I will teach transgressors your way and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from the blood guiltiness, O God. O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. For the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. 
Now, again, I want you to understand that when he starts to say he's going to teach it to others, teach others your ways, he's not bargaining with God. He's not saying, hey, if you're going to take care of this, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to do this for you. And maybe you've gotten to that place before in your life. Martin Luther at one point uh, had lightning strike near him. and He said, hey, God, if you save me from this, I'm going to become a monk. Okay, now maybe you've done that in an accident or something like that. God, if you allow me to pass this test, I will go to church for a number of weeks. Oh God, if you do this for me, then I'm going to do this for you. Now it might be tongue in cheek, but it's not frivolous. And God says to us, it's not about the bargaining chip. God is coming and David's coming and he's saying, hey, I'm going to teach transgressors away because I have this overwhelming joy. When we're sad, when we're broken, people have to come to you. Hey, hey, what's wrong? What's going on? What's, what's happening with you? If you're in a place of joy, you tell everybody. When you have new grandchildren or your grandchildren do something, you're overjoyed. You want to tell everybody. You want to show everybody the pictures. When you've done well, when you've won a championship, when you've done something great, you want to share it. It's not a problem. And it's the same thing here with David. David says, hey, when I have understood your forgiveness, when I'm back in the joy of your salvation, it's just going to overflow. I can't keep my mouth shut about it. I'm going to tell sinners how they can come and have a right relationship with you. Why? Because of Christ's righteousness. There's two parts to the gospel message. The first one we get a lot of times, I'm a sinner. I fall short. I can't have a relationship with Jesus and I can't have a relationship with God. Except for what? The second part. We are given Christ's righteousness. His perfection is given to us. So that when God looks at us, he doesn't, if you're a Christian, he doesn't see you. He doesn't see your sin. He sees Jesus in his perfection. That's what he sees. And so David's able to go to God and he says, I want them to see your righteousness. You're the one who forgives. You're the one who brings back. And so I'm going to tell of your great ways. And when I do that, I'm going to worship. And listen, worship when you are in a right relationship with Jesus Christ is not a duty. It's not boring. If you are not a Christian, then sitting in this place, you're already asking, how much longer? When's you going to stop talking about this? This is boring. If someone's sitting next to you and they're sleeping, elbow them. Wake them up. But there are times and people who, who've become Christians later in life will come back and say, I don't know, but pastor, somehow you've become a little bit less boring now. I'm starting to enjoy to come to church now. There's not anything different about the pastor or about the worship. You are in a saving relationship with Jesus Christ now. That's the difference. Because it's a joy all the time. If our relationship with Jesus is good and not tarnished, then it's going to be a place where we enjoy to come. Even if things aren't perfect. You get to be in the presence of God, giving him all the glory and honor, and with brothers and sisters who are doing the same. That's worship that's changed by the gospel. 
And when that happens, then what David starts to pray for is he starts to pray for this for the whole church. Listen, verse 18 and 19. Do good design in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then we will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. So here's what's, what's happening. He's saying, God, I want you to do good to the church and there's pleasure. Because listen, what's happening here, and I want you to think about that, is that David is figuring out maybe for the first time that God does not, is not just pleased with outward forms of worship. Okay, now here's why I say that. David has committed adultery. David has murdered somebody, and yet David was still able to go to the temple on Sabbath day and offer sacrifices and to worship because it was for him at that moment an outward sign. It's what I do. I'm supposed to go to church, so I'm going to go to church. But again, let me tell you again, the two things that there is not a sacrifice prescribed in the Bible to replace adultery and murder. David cannot bring a satisfying sacrifice. David deserves to die. And yet David goes through the formal worship. So there has to be a reality where, again, and David gets it here, and I hope you get it here too. God, coming to church doesn't change me. God, being in an accountability group doesn't change me. Being in a small group doesn't change me. It doesn't make me a better person. And I think God can use all of those things. We want you to be a part of those things. But more than anything, we want your heart changed by the gospel. And that's what David figures out. It's not the sacrifices. You want my heart. God, you want me to be so sorry for my sin, so overwhelmed with your righteousness and your goodness and your mercy that I run to you and to you alone, not to the symbolism of the temple. Listen, we come to the means of grace this morning, and it is a means of grace, and there is something that happens. We are encouraged in our spiritual life. But taking the Lord's Supper does not fix you. We take the Lord's Supper because we bring a broken and contrite heart to Jesus and say, except for you paying the penalty and fixing what is broken, I cannot come. And Jesus says, come anyways. Do you get it? You don't need to be fixed to come. You don't need to be perfect. You don't have to look the right part. Because the reality is and the truth is every person in this church is broken and a sinner. We just decide whose is worse than someone else's. And Jesus says that they all sent me to the cross. And it's there that I come and I accept your broken and contrite heart. And I tell you to come to the table to be forgiven once again. Just reminded. Because he died one time for your sins and for mine. So my prayer for you is that you would take David's psalm and you would make it your own. Make it your own. Because David figured it out. That's my prayer for you. Run to Jesus, not from him. If you're caught in sin, run to him. If there's unconfessed sins, secret sins, run to him. If there's relationships that need to be renewed, run to him. Because he's faithful and just. And he's the one who forgives us our sins and cleanses us from our unrighteousness. Amen?
Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is to you. And Lord, it wasn't by chance that you set up this passage to be bringing us right now to the means of grace. Father, what we have heard and Father, what hopefully we've applied to our lives, we now get to experience physically as we take the representations of your body and your blood in your covenant relationship shed for us because you, Father, are faithful. And so prepare us now as we come.